You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with our Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So the Shavuot holiday, Shavuot, is right around the corner. That is the holiday um, celebrating the fact that the Jewish people received the Torah, received the Ten Commandments from God um, when he came down on Mount Sinai and he spoke to the Jewish people and we talked about lots of stuff. And of course my, I hate to say my favorite part of the holiday, but I love the cheesecake, which I think my wife is making on Monday. So since she's going to make it on Monday, I can, I always get like a pre-holiday piece of cheesecake. But I my cup of coffee, it's fantastic. But in any case, and we'll talk about, but not today, I don't think so at least. We'll get into cheesecake, but um, today I wanted to get into the story of Ruth. Um, there are five what's called Megillos. A Megillah, I guess, would just be like a rolled up piece of parchment. And there are five of them. One, of course, is the story of Esther on Purim. Um, one is Song of Songs that we read on Passover. One is Kohelis or Ecclesiastes, which is almost like the um, just telling you what life is all about and the, and most things are worthless except Torah study. That's also from Solomon that we read on on the Sukkot holiday. We read um, Echa, Lamentations, that we read on Tishavav on the 9th of Av to commemorate the destruction of the temple. And on the Shavuot holiday, we read the story of Ruth. We're going to have to sort of delve into um, what it actually has to do with the holiday of Shavuot. But first I figured let's take some time to delve into the story. And I actually have some interesting thoughts and points I wanted to bring out about this, about the story. And some, uh, there's always lots to learn from any story, but, but we want to learn some specific things about who Ruth was and uh, how she differs from her sister. And let's let's get into the story first, then we'll talk about what I want to talk about. Okay. So, it is not clear exactly when the story takes place historically. It's way before, obviously, King David, because Ruth is the great-grandmother. Um, it's taking place sometime after when the Jewish people enter the land of Israel, before there's any kings. So, it's called the period of the Judges. But exactly which judge was in charge of the country at the time is debatable, but it doesn't affect us. And there's a hunger. And one of the leaders of the Jewish people at the time was a man by the name of Elimelech, a very wealthy man. And for whatever reason, he chose to move his family out of Israel to the fields of Moab which for multiple reasons is a bad idea. Why is he leaving the land of Israel? 
why is he not praying for mercy for the Jewish people? But in any case, he moves out. He moves out with his wife. Her name is Naomi. And his two sons, Machlon and Kilion. Um, Elimelech will die because he should not have left Israel. His two sons will marry princesses of Moab. So they're marrying, uh, you know, they're obviously an important family. They're marrying uh, two girls from, uh, from royalty. They are princesses. It is debatable exactly how they could marry these non-Jewish girls. Can't marry a non-Jewish girl. Um, either they converted them or they were children. So it was like a test, sort of. Like, they can choose later to convert. It's debatable exactly what they did. But they marry these two girls. One is Ruth, and one is her sister, Arpa. Okay? Machlon and Kilian die. They were married for 10 years. They never went back to the land of Israel. Um, they basically lost all their wealth. And now Naomi is here in the fields of Moab with two daughter-in-laws. They're either, yeah, Jewish or not Jewish. Let's assume at this point they're not fully Jewish. And Naomi says, I'm going home. I'm going back to my old stomping grounds. There's nothing for me here. To my two dear, wonderful daughter-in-laws, you have no children for my sons. You're young. Don't hang out with me. I'm an old lady. I have nothing to offer you. Um, I have nobody eligible to marry you. Go back to your family. You were good girls. I'm sure God will take care of you. So at first, both Ruth and Arpa refuse. No, no, we want to go back with you. We want to hang out with you. And Naomi again says, why bother? I have nothing for you. You want to become Jewish? What, what, what do you need it for? Go home. So Arpa goes home. But Ruth says, nothing doing. Nothing doing. I am going back with you. And whether they did some type of conversion or not, but at this point, if Ruth wants to go back, she has to like solidify, verify, confirm this that she wants to convert. And there's a whole conversation, and she tells her some rules and some regulations, and finally Naomi says, okay, you want to become Jewish? Come back, we'll convert you when we get back to back to Israel. She comes back to Israel and she's greeted by people and you know, people are people. And they give her looks. Ah, this is Naomi. She's the one that the wealthy lady that used to live here. And she abandoned, or at least her family abandoned us. In our time of need, when there was no food, she abandoned us, had a wealthy husband, had kids, and now look at her. She has a daughter-in-law who's a convert. Did they say it exactly that way? Hard to say. Is that what they meant when they looked at Naomi? Probably. Naomi actually answers them. Now, the name Naomi means sweet. So she says, don't call me sweet. Call me bitter, because God has made my life bitter. Okay, that's really the end of the conversation, and Naomi and Ruth find a place to go live.
I'm sure it wasn't uh, on the fancier and the wealthier side of town, to say the least. Um, so now here comes a way, something important to know. We talked about it, I think, um, last week. And that is there are certain taxes that that God puts on the farmer to make sure the poor people get food. I tell my class a story about communism today. I can't remember what it was exactly. Yeah, I was reading a story about communism and uh, the, the idea that everyone's supposed to share in the wealth. Well, here the Torah actually demands, not in a communistic way, but certainly a, a type of sharing the wealth. And that is, it's called leket, shikha, and peya. What is leket, shikha, and peya? It means like this. So when the farm is harvesting, so in the old days, not nowadays where we have vacuum cleaners, but the, um, the, whoever he hires to harvest, right? You, get, you grab a bundle of grain, take your sickle, cut, take a string out of your pocket, tie up the bundle, take a step, Cut, tie, again, grab, cut, tie. And this is what you're, you're working your way through the field as part one of the harvesting process. Every time you swing that sickle, there's no way, unless you're working awfully slow, um, that some stalks won't fall. So the rule is, every time you swing your sickle, if one or two stalks fall, you have to leave it for the poor person. That's called leket. Okay, it's called leket. So again, so the person collecting is getting a small percentage, right? But that's going to be their food. That's part one in the process of what the poor people, what the farmer must allow the poor people to take in his field. It's called leket. Shikha is less common but bigger. And that is now that you've got all these bundles in your field, so what happens is you have to... Um, you have to gather all these bundles. There's going to be a threshing area. You have to, we have these long stalks still, and we have all these kernels encased in, in whatever is holding them. So we're going to either need to take sticks and smash them or, or have animals walk over them or pull boards with bricks on it. And God made the wheat and, the, and all, all the grains, rye, oats, in such an amazing way that... That once they dry out, it's very easy to knock off the kernels from the rest of the grain, from the stalks, and again from the things holding the um, the kernels together. So wherever the farmer is bringing all his bundles to a central area to be threshed and then winnowed, um, if the farmer forgets a bundle behind him, he has to leave for the poor. So that is the second type of forced tax, and we call that shikha, for the word forgetting. And the third thing is something called peya, which means a corner that the farmer has to designate a corner of his field. He doesn't harvest it. The poor people have to come with their own tools and cut what, and cut what they wish, and they also get to take that home. Okay, now with that information. Okay, so Ruth tells her mother-in-law you know, now is the season where they're starting the harvest. So I'm going to go. We don't have any money. We don't have any food. So I'm going to go to one of these fields, and I'm going to walk behind the harvesters, and I'm going to, you know, we'll get something. I have a little bit of food at least. So she goes to the field, and she's extremely modest. 
In other words, there's different ways where you can pick up the kernels, right? You can do it in such a way that your clothes are, are flying all over the place. You can be very modest as you make sure you pick up everything that your clothes stay on you properly. And Ruth was very, very modest. In the meanwhile, um, a, a cousin or a, or a nephew, really, Elimelech, um, comes to check on his workers, and he actually greets them using God's name. It's very interesting. They instituted, at least in those days, uh, we say Shalom Aleichem, which is a, like a, a sort of like a nickname for God. But they actually um, use God's name. And he says, who's this girl over here? He just noticed she was different. He says, oh, that's Ruth, the Moabite. And she's here collecting. Oh, very nice. Call her over. So Boaz, very wealthy man, related to um, to um, Elimelech, to Ruth's father-in-law and to her husband. And he says, oh, I hear how you're taking care of your mother-in-law and it's so good and, and I, I see you're here. If you need anything, you can come here and take water where the workers get water from your relative. Now, he's not you know, offering to give her money. He's not offering to support her. But he offers that um, if you need anything, you need any food, we have tents here set up, you know, you'll come and I'll tell the boys to leave you alone. No one's going to bother you. Thank you very much. And she appreciates. Okay, very good. And he even tells the workers, you know, she takes what she's not allowed. Don't yell at her. Just let her be. She's a relative. Fine. She comes home that day with a humongous amount of grain, like much more than a poor person should be able to bring home. And she tells her mother-in-law, she tells Naomi, she says, yeah, I was in this guy's field, right? Obviously, God set it up that she should end up in that field, right? Because that's not where, I mean, like, why that, Why a relative's field? It's not like her mother-in-law sent her to a relative's field. It's not like she knew this was a relative, but God set it up this way, of course. And Naomi says, okay, so this is a relative. He's taking care of you. Just go to his fields because a lot of times poor people could be abused. And in this case, you know, someone's taking care of you. And so for the next few months, through the harvest months, which is basically from Passover to Shavuos, which is one of the reasons why we read this story on the Shavuot holiday, one of the reasons, second reason, by the way, is Ruth converted. She accepted the whole Torah. We, on uh, on the holiday of Shavuot, we... Uh, we're like converts. We accepted the whole Torah. Again, there's a, some nice connections between this Megillah, this story, and the holiday. And uh, so for the next few months, she goes ahead and she collects. And the, obviously, the mother-in-law was quite pleased. Anyways, after the harvest season, and all the grain already has been gathered in, and the farmers have done their winnowing, and they have their piles of grain, and which now means that the farmer has to protect his grain from thieves because why would a thief want to come into your field and steal grain that's, you know, stalks? That's silly. You first do all the work. You get everything prepared. You spent the last six months um, getting all your your uh, grain ready to be brought inside, returned into flour. Now is a good time to steal it. So it was very common. It was very normal that the farmers would have to stand guard or sleep outside to take care of their field. So Naomi says to Ruth, she says, you know, this Boaz is a relative. He should marry you. 
because, again, there was a concept called Yibum. This is not exactly Yibum, um, but there is a concept when uh, when somebody dies, so uh, so a brother, if there's no children, so a relative, if they're allowed to, so a relative could marry this girl. Fine. So Naomi says to Ruth, you'll go at night. He's sleeping out in the field. You'll go, go to sleep by his feet. He'll wake up. He'll see you there. And uh, let's see what happens next. So Ruth sneaks out, goes to the field, goes to sleep near where Boaz is, and all of a sudden Boaz wakes up and he says, what's going on over here? Is that angel? Is that demon? Who's here in the field with me? And Ruth says, it's me. It's your maidservant. Um, you need to take care of me. You're a relative. You need to redeem the fields from, uh, from people who bought them from my uh, father-in-law. So Boaz says, wow. So you're, you're such a good girl. You, you knew to, to you know, hang out with family. You didn't just run after all the boys. I'm impressed. But I have to tell you the truth. There's a closer relative than me. And it's sort of like he has first dibs to do the mitzvah of redeeming the fields. But what we're going to do is we are going to connect, combine the, the command of redeeming your fields with marrying you. In other words, you can't just redeem the fields unless they also marry you, and that way we'll make sure you get married, and here's the deal. There's a closer relative. If he says no, I'll take care of it. By the way, Boaz at this time is a very old man. Um, he actually had a lot of children that died. Um, according to the Madras, he was 130 years old already. He's an old man. So the next morning... Ruth goes back home, goes early. No one should suspect what happened. Boaz goes to the town market. That's where usually the court would sit. And Boaz is is himself a judge. And he sees the relative coming. We don't even know the relative's name, at least in the verses, because since he's not going to accept to do the mitzvah, so uh, so we don't even get his name. So Boaz calls him over and says, you know, um, we got Elimelech's fields. Nobody redeemed them. There's a command in the Torah, last week's Torah portion, by the way. There's a command in the Torah to redeem these fields. So uh, are you in? So he said, of course I'm in. Didn't realize they had to be redeemed. No problem. Then Boaz says, yeah, I forgot to tell you, connected to the command of redeeming the fields is you got to marry Ruth. Oh, I can't marry Ruth. It's not happening. Why? So interesting enough, this was the uh, topic of the day. This was the raging Talmudic, so to say, it was way pre the Talmud, but this was the raging Torah subject. What was the question? There's a verse in the Torah. The verse in the Torah says, someone from the from the from the, I don't want to say country, somebody who comes from Moab, who's from that family, or somebody who's from Ammon, is not allowed, even if he converts, cannot marry into the Jewish people. He can become Jewish. But he won't be allowed to marry another Jewish person. He can marry another convert, but he cannot marry somebody whose lineage is always Jewish. Why? So the Torah says when the Jewish people were traveling through the desert, so the countries of Ammon and Moab did not bring us food and water. We're traveling in the desert. 
um, and you don't even no hospitality. You only exist because Abraham had uh, Lot, which automatically meant I'm in a move because I come from Lot's daughters. So you only exist because of Abraham, and Abraham's descendants are coming, uh, traveling in the desert, and you don't offer them bread and water. You cannot marry into the Jewish people. You can become Jewish. You could convert, but you cannot marry into the Jewish people. So the question was, is that only a problem with the male side, or does that include females also? Now you would say, what's the difference? Male, female, they didn't bring out bread and water, it's not happening. So the answer is, very good question, thank you for asking that question. Um, The answer is that it was normal for men to go out. They had no problem going into the desert and bringing the bread and water. It's that women did not just travel out into the desert to deliver bread and water. However, it happens to be that it's debatable if that's an acceptable answer. So this was the raging question. So this relative says, I can't marry Ruth. Because even if you, if your court, Boaz says, is permitted to marry into in, in, to marry a girl from Moab, but who's to say a later court won't come along and say we don't like that law? And by the way, by the time of King David, I just had this in the Talmud, by the time of King David, there were certain great scholars who wanted to say King David is, uh, is not one of us. He's from Moab. They're not allowed to marry into the Jewish people. He can't be king. His great-great-grandma, his great-grandmother uh, was from Moab. So he's off the table. So Boaz says, fine, I'll marry her. So they make, uh, they, I guess, do the paperwork. I don't want to say the paperwork. They make what's called the Kenyan, and Boaz will buy the fields. That night, Boaz will marry Ruth, and Ruth will become pregnant that night, and Boaz will be dead the next morning, which anyways teaches you a good lesson that if you if there's something good to do, if there's a mitzvah to do, a good deed to do, don't put it in your calendar for three weeks from now. Who knows how long anybody lives? Who knows? And then the Megillah ends with the lineage that Ruth is the grandmother of King David, and um, and which also, by the way, the Shavuot holiday happens to be the yard site of King David. So again, another connection. Okay. So after this whole, as we say, Megillah, um, I wanted to point out, and this is, I'm telling you, the whole story was to get to this point. I want to point out one aspect in the Megillah. The Megillah points out to us that Ruth was very, very modest. On the other hand, her sister Arpa, once she left Nami, like she was open season. She opened herself up to a whole squadron of soldiers. She was free. You know, uh, she was not a modest person. Let's put it that way. So we have two sisters, Ruth and Arpa. One is a very modest person. One is a very immodest person. From Ruth comes King David. From Arpa comes the famous giant Goliath, who King David will kill, right? So now you have a pretty powerful lesson. Who's Ruth? Who is Ruth? Ruth is the one between the two sisters. She has the courage, the conviction, and strength of character to make the hard choices, right? She gave up on her royal heritage. She becomes Jewish when the Jewish people were not on top of the world. And from her comes King David. Arpa makes the easy choice. 
I should be Jewish. Better I go home. I'm from royalty. I can live the easy life. I can have whatever I want. And from her comes this Goliath. And the world knows the story of David and Goliath, that David slays the giant, right? So the world, at least in the Jewish world, right? King David is one of our greatest. Psalms comes from King David, right? Because his grandmother, great-grandmother, made the hard choices, did what wasn't so easy, and look what came from her. So we need to know when, we, and that's part of the short holiday, right? The Jewish people, is it so easy to choose the Torah? Yeah, it's got a lot of rules and regulations. It's not free, you can't do whatever you want with life, but you make the hard choices and look what comes out of it. And at least I got in the lesson that I wanted. Everything was perfectly timed. The music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it. It's short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David Sisko and Andy in the back. I have a blessed food for thought. Until next time. I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NRS Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.